You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. So, um, we're starting a new series of messages uh, this month called Devil's Advocate. Now, if you have ever been on a staff team at work, if you've ever sat in on some kind of a committee, if you have ever been in leadership of any kind, you have sat in at least one meeting in your lifetime where somebody in the meeting begins a sentence like this. Let me play the part of the devil's advocate, right? Now, we generally know, we generally know what their intentions are, all right? So here's a, you know, a common understanding. A devil's advocate is the person who expresses a contentious or contrarian opinion in order to provoke debate in the meeting or to test the strength of the opposing argument. So whatever's being discussed, the plans that are being made, the ideas that are being formulated, the solutions that are being pursued, there will always be the person who will step back and say, let me be the devil's advocate. Let me challenge how we're currently thinking because we might have missed something an important detail that we've overlooked that could have enormous consequences in what it is that we're about to do. And so they provoke debate or test the strength. When someone plays the devil's advocate, they're arguing an opinion or taking a side in order to foster debate. You're all familiar with this, right? Now, it's interesting to me, I had 30 years of being in leadership. It's always curious to me that it seems like the devil's advocate in every meeting is always the same person. Isn't it? Now, I don't mind the devil advocate part of a meeting. I get that. But sometimes it seems like the only person who ever takes that position, that's the only position they ever have. They never offer anything positive, never anything constructive, never anything supportive. They always take the opposing contrarian view. And I think the devil's advocate sometimes is just a cover for being ornery and being critical and being unsupportive of the organization. So that, but, but that's a message another day. So we know what a devil's advocate is, but let's look at the term devil's advocate. In fact, you have to put a pregnant pause in between the two words to truly understand what we're talking about. We're talking about the devil's advocate. So we all know what an advocate is. An advocate is a representative, a defender, an ambassador, or a spokesperson. So what we're talking about is the devil's representative. We're talking about the devil's defender, the one who comes to his defense, the devil's ambassador who speaks up as a spokesperson on the devil's behalf. Now, it's interesting, and we'll talk more about this next week. But all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the scriptures talk about the devil. He has different names in different contexts. He's, he's the devil. He's Satan. He's Lucifer. He's Beelzebub. He's Belial. He's all different names, but a consistent personality, a consistent um, portrayal all through the Bible. The Bible speaks of the devil as being, one, God's greatest enemy, and two, the author of all things evil, evil in all of its forms, all of its shapes and sizes, even things that on the surface may appear right and good 
can be evil at their root. And the Bible wants us to understand that the devil or Satan is behind all of that. Now, I know some of you are like, Paul, you really, you believe in the devil? We'll talk about that next Sunday. So come on back. But we're going to work from the assumption of the scripture. It talks about the devil as God's enemy and the portrayer or purveyor of all things evil. And so here's what I want you to understand. The devil, God's celestial enemy and the perpetrator of all things evil, he has an extremely powerful and persuasive advocate in our world. The devil has a persuasive and powerful representative, spokesperson, ambassador in our world. Do you understand that? I'm not saying if you agree with it. Do you understand the premise that I'm working from? Do you want to know what that spokesperson is? It's called culture. The culture that you and I live in every day, we're surrounded by culture, we are inundated by culture, we are embroiled in culture, we are influenced every moment of our life by the culture in which we live. And what I want you to understand is that it's an advocate for the devil. The most powerful movers and shakers of culture actively advocate for many of the values the beliefs and the behaviors that the devil seeks to promote as the author of evil. This is something that we must be more aware of. So culture, contemporary culture, is often the devil's advocate, the devil's representative, the devil's spokesperson for all things contrary to how God wants human beings to live. Does that make sense so far? That culture is a spokesperson for the values, the beliefs, and the behaviors that the devil promotes. And it's everything that's contrary to what God or how God would have us to live. So what we need to understand is that what culture often celebrates as progress, we're a developing nation we're such intelligent people. We're making so many social advances. What often culture often celebrates as progress is nothing more than the gradual and slow adoption of evil. And if you're paying attention, we're watching it happen at supersonic speed these days. And here's my problem. Here's my concern. Here's the heavy heart of a pastor. And that is Christians by the millions swallow this hook, line, and sinker. Christians by the millions are swallowing progress because it looks so attractive and so advanced and so intelligent and so right and so just that we're being deceived by it. And here's, here's my concern. This is the heart of your pastor for you. There's nothing that culture wants more than to get its hooks in you in order to shape the way that you think and choose for the rest of your life. 
And to just raise the urgency a bit more, the number one target for culture and its influence is teens and 20-somethings, your children, your grandchildren. Culture wants to get the attention and the participation of your teenager and your 20-something because it knows that if we can get its hooks in them at that formative stage of their life, we'll have them for the rest of their life. We'll influence their choices and we'll influence their lifestyle. That's why we as Christians, we need to be very aware and very careful. Culture, what is it? Well, it's interesting. I looked up probably two dozen different definitions of culture. Some of them you need a dictionary to understand the words that they use to define culture. But um, here's, here's one that I thought was probably most manageable. Culture is the beliefs, the attitudes, the values, and the behaviors that a group of people share in common with one another. Here's another way. This is my definition just to sort of distill all the different ones. I look, culture is the experiences of everyday life that we share with the people around us. Now, this is interesting because this could be your family, just your nuclear family that lives under your roof. You have a culture in your home. This could be the people that you work with because workplaces have cultures. This could be your church because churches have cultures. This could be the community that you live in. Communities have cultures. Fair Oaks has a culture. Bernie has a culture. The Dominion has a culture. These are shared experiences with the people around us. And what makes it so interesting and dynamic in the world that we live today is that through the digital impact of the world that we live, we are living with people all around the world. We live in a global kind of society. And so culture of people from a completely different side of the world are having influence in our life. Do you understand that? Now, let's look at some of the contributing forces of culture. Like, what are some of the things that shape culture? You ready? You ready? Have I been gone that long? You guys don't know what to do here? All right. Listen. Here's some of the formative power of culture. Language. Traditions. Customs. Fashion. Music has an enormous impact and influence on culture. Entertainment. Advertising, one of the biggest cultural influences in our lives. Art, literature, politics, education, religion, science, which nowadays we live in science and the science, and they're not the same. Trends, trends influence culture. Journalism these days has an enormous impact on how people experience their culture. Morality, ethics, beliefs, status, like the positions that you hold in a social structure, the lifestyles that we use, the heritage that we come from. Now, folks, let's just, can we be honest? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Language. Language is dramatically shifting. And having enormous influence on our culture. The Biden administration recently referred to women as birthing people. CNN referred to women as individuals with cervixes. An esteemed 
medical journal, The Lancet, refers to women as people with vaginas. That's language shaping culture. Interesting, in a culture that seeks equality for women, greater value and esteem for women, they're using all the words that diminish it and rob it by making women simply an objective, an object. That's culture. That's, that's not politics. That's culture, and it's deeply spiritual. Traditions and customs. What we do when the American flag is raised. What we do in the singing of the national anthem. These are traditions and customs. Christmas, the celebration of Easter in the public forum. These are being changed in social society. This is influencing culture. Fashion, music. We want to talk about music? Do you know that the award-winning top song of 2021 is a song that has a title that I can't even mention in church? It's so offensive. Every one of you are looking at your spouse right now going, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, because you know that song. You know the title of it. Have you ever read the lyrics of it? I read them this week, and I was like, you can't tell me this, haven't, this isn't having an influence on the culture that we live when it's being applauded and awarded as the top song. We could go through movies and television and how they've changed. It's having an influence on culture. Every one of these things is having a profound influence on the experience that we share together. Does that make sense? Now, at this point, some of you are like, yeah, go, Paul. And some of you are getting pissed off at me because of how I'm talking about some of these things. And here's why that's important. I'm in big trouble because I just said that. <laughs> it's been a month. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. And maybe this is all the time we'll have today. The scriptures, the Bible, God's word to us. The eternal truths of the creator and sustainer of the universe, the Bible, very frequently warns Christians to the dangerous influence of culture. Time and time again, the Bible alerts Christians, be very careful about the influence of culture in your life. Now, it's interesting why most Christians don't understand this in the scriptures is because you don't see the word culture. Greek and Hebrew terms were not translated as culture at the time that the Bible was being um, recorded into an English language. But the word that we do see that represents culture, you ready, is the word world. Now, what we see in the Bible is that the word world is used three different ways at least. Sometimes the word world, it's hard to say, word world, is used to describe the created universe, the, the globe, earth. Sometimes the word world is used to describe humanity, human beings. God so loved the world, human beings. But most of the time, the word world is used to describe culture the influences and experiences of everyday life that have a profound influence on how we think, what we value, what we prioritize, and how we live our life. 
So look at some of these passages of Scripture. These are just a few of the important passages of Scripture that warn Christians about the danger of culture. Romans, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome in the first century, and he says, Do not be conformed to this world. Other translations, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. The behaviors of this world, the thinking of this world, the values of the world. Don't be squeezed into the mold that the world would have you to live. If you're not paying attention, this whole discussion of woke is about insisting that people live a certain way according to a certain set of beliefs. And Paul the Apostle is warning Christians in the first century who lived in their own unique culture... Not much different than our culture in the 21st century. He says, Christian, don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into the way of living that you see in your world. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The way that you think. The way that you see. The paradigms that you use to interpret your world. That the testing you may discern... That by testing, testing movies, testing songs, testing lifestyles, testing politics, testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and what's acceptable and perfect according to God's standards, not your world's. Next passage of scripture, 1 John, do not love The world. Now we know that's not people because God tells us we are to love people. We know that's not the globe because that wouldn't be inconsistent with the theme of stewardship in the scriptures. Do not love the patterns, the behaviors, the beliefs of your culture or the things in your culture. Because if anyone loves the culture, the love of the Father is not in him. He doesn't really understand the nature of the heart of God. For all that is in the world, culture, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, all of that. It's not from God, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, its cravings, its values. But whoever, Christian, whoever does the will of God... In contrast to a love for culture, whoever does the will of God abides forever, lives for an eternity. Look at this. Colossians. This is Colossians, such a powerful book. We should do a series just on this book sometime. It says this. The writer says, see to it. Like, be careful. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. This is culture. And Christians are being taken captive every day because we're not discerning about what it is that's going on around us. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or an empty deceit according to human ways of thinking, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Satan, God's celestial enemy and the perpetrator of all things evil, the spirits of the world and not... According to Christ, be very careful, Christian. We we usually hear this verse, this passage in terms of marriage. It's about so much more than marriage. 
Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Do not be unequally yoked. Don't get into a partnership with. Don't try to pull together. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, people who are far from God, who don't hold Christ as being sacred in their lives. For what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? And what fellowship does light have with darkness? See the contrast? They're not just like these little gray areas. In the mind of God, these are black and white, darkness and light. What accord, what association has Christ with the devil? They don't. They're completely and utterly opposed. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? The portion of values and beliefs and habits and lifestyles couldn't be more different. What agreement has the temple of God? That's you, that's me. We are the temple of God. What does it have with idols which fill our culture? For we are the temple of the living God. Look at this passage, Ephesians 4. How am I doing? I got six minutes. You guys all right? You're like, well, welcome back, Paul. Whew. All right. Um, now this I say, and I testify from my position as a representative of the Lord, that you must no longer live your life, walk as Gentiles. Now the passage in this context is referring to people far from God who have no place, no time for God. Don't live like that in the futility, look at that, in the futility of their minds. So many of the prominent social platforms and influencers, they like to parade their credentials and how intelligent they are, what Ivy League school they graduated from, what degrees they hold, how many books they've authored. But God sees them as having a futility when it comes to how they think. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't even see the truth. They're alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? The hardness of their heart. Most of the major cultural voices that we listen to today, that we applaud, that we approve, that we award, here's how God sees them. They are futile in their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're ignorant in their hardness of heart. And Christians every day are taking cues from them. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, the practice of every kind of impurity. Does that not look like the culture that we live in? It certainly does to me. But that, Paul writes, that is not the way you learned Christ. That wasn't anything on the agenda when it came to learning the way of Jesus. Assuming that you've heard about him, you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, put off old ways of living, old ways of thinking, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be what? Renewed. Renewed here in how you think. Renewed in your minds. Put on the new self. 
A new self created by the grace of Jesus Christ, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Last one. This is just representative of a, a few of the many passages that I could take you to. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, Christian, there was a time you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Before God, you were completely busted. No hope. In which you used to live when you followed what? The ways of this world. That's culture. Of the ruler of the kingdom of this air. That's Satan. We'll talk about that next week. The spirit who is now at work. Watch this. This is such important language. Who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Cultural influencers. Without Christ. All of us, we used to live among them at one time. We used to. That's the language of a Christ follower. I used to live like that. I don't anymore. Gratifying the cravings of my flesh, following its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That is what the scriptures have to say about culture. I have a whole other half to this message we don't have time to go to today. But it's a four-part series. So I can pick it up where we leave off today, next week. Here's what I want you to hear. If, if, if you are a follower of Jesus... The scripture is crystal clear. There's no debate. You were called as a follower of Christ to be very careful about what degree you allow culture to influence your life. But what I see so often is so many Christians... So many followers of Jesus, they want to be accepted. They want to be liked and loved. They want to be popular. They want to be successful. They want to be cool. They want to be sophisticated. They want to be on the in crowd. And most of the time, they follow hard after the values and the lifestyles and the habits of their culture. And if the body of Christ, the church, Christians, are to have any influence in our world, we're going to have to step back and honestly look at what's happening around us and the impact it's having on our life. So we begin the series here. That God has a celestial enemy. He is the perpetrator of all things evil. No matter how beautiful and right and just they may appear on the surface. God has an enemy. The perpetrator of all things evil. And that enemy has a very vocal advocate. And it's called culture. 
And we're going to talk more about it next Sunday. Let me ask you if you'll stand together. Let's pray. God, for 30 years now, I've been aware that I am a shepherd who's been entrusted with the care of a flock. But I don't know that there's ever been a time in those 30 years where that responsibility and that burden has been greater than it is right now. Whether they're in this room or they're joined us online, I have a responsibility. Regardless of how unpopular or how uncomfortable to speak The truth is defined by you. Give me the courage to do that these next four Sundays. And I pray for these men and these women, many who profess faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and have declared him to be the Lord of their life. Open their eyes, open their ears, open their hearts to hear the eternal truths of your word about the world that we live in today. Raise up a church that's willing to be courageous and confident enough in our faith for us to be an influence on our culture rather than our culture be an influence on us. Hear our prayer. Help me, pastor. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks, gang. See you next Sunday.